Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And we've got a great show for you today. We have my friend um, and author, minister, leader, Cameron Cole on the program. Cameron Cole has been the director of youth ministries at the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama for 16 years, which is a long time. I'm going to ask him about that. In 2016, his duties expanded to include children, youth, and families. And he's the founding chairman of Rooted Ministry, an organization that promotes gospel-centered youth ministry. He's the co-editor of Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry, the book, and author of Therefore I Have Hope, a World Magazine's 2018 Book of the Year. He's a two-time graduate of Wake Forest and an MDiv from Reformed Theological Seminary. Brother, it's good to have you. My man, good to see you. <laughs> you spoke at our 2013 conference in, uh, in yeah, Atlanta. I was just At that thinking point, about we had that. no employees. <laughs> was it just you working it out of here? It was me and like interns and volunteers from other churches just throwing yeah. stuff against the wall. Try, yeah. Just I trying was, to make it honest in the world. I was just thinking about that yesterday, actually, as I was planning for this. And I, that was when I was still in Vermont. I, I don't even think I was in Kansas yeah. City then. Oh, yeah, you were definitely Was in it Vermont. in Atlanta? I felt like it was in Birmingham, but maybe. It was in the Dirty Dirty, baby. Okay. Yeah, All right. It was Atlanta. <laughs> Well, that's yeah. awesome. Man, um, so speaking of going back in time, 15 years or so ago, I remember people, I mean, I was trying to like place this date as I was thinking about this as well. I think it was like 15 years or so ago, I had all these young guys asking me, where's the book on gospel-centered youth ministry? This is like when there were only like five books on gospel-centered <laughs> ministry, or at least new books on it. Like, where's the book on gospel-centered student ministry? And everybody that would ask me, I would say, you should write it because I don't think that it exists. Or if it does, it's it's too obscure, right? So you should write it. Now, 2022, holy cow, man, we have an abundance of resources. A, a lot has changed. Still a lot of growth to, uh, um, you know, to go through and a lot of things that probably ought to change. I wonder if I could get you to kind of give us the state, if you will, of, of student ministry in American, you know, evangelicalism, where sure. are we at? Where have we been? How, you know, give us a little history lesson and kind of a, a, a state of the question. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a, such a good question. Okay, well, let's, uh, in the words of Julie Andrews, let's start from the very beginning. <laughs> start from the very beginning. It's a very good, very good place to start. <laughs> you know, let's go all the way back to World War II. Um, after World War II in the United States, there, uh, there was a great deal of concern on two fronts. One, you know, you had uh, the rise of communism, the expansion of communism. And so people were worried about that coming to the United States. But also people saw how the Nazis were able to leverage young people in their movement. And so uh, people were, became very concerned about the vulnerability of young people in the United States to, to communism. And so that is honestly where modern youth ministry, as we know, it kind of has its roots. And so uh, there were there were more parachurch movements that that were um, that were developed to try to positively influence young people. Some of that influence they wanted to direct them towards Christian values, and some of that was towards American patriotism. Uh, there's a really good book by Thomas Birchler, the Juvenilization of American Christianity, that that kind of talks about that. Yeah. But anyhow, so so then um, churches start to see 
that some of these parachurch ministries were having a great deal of success in, uh, in evangelism and in, uh, and just, you know, getting kids interested in Christ and in spiritual things and the faith. And so the second half, say the second, the last third of the 20th century, um, there's this uh, churches feel a sense of necessity. Like we've got to have a youth ministry in our church. Uh, we've got to, we've got to, you know, kind of copy and adopt what a lot of these parachurch ministries um, have done. And so, so churches then start to have youth ministries and, and they, and it then becomes kind of like a necessity. Like you, you know, today we would say you got to have on your webpage that you've got a youth ministry. Right. People aren't going to come, but at like a box, an essential box that you might, must check if you're going to, um, if you're, if you're going to be a viable church. Well, so churches pour a ton of money into, uh, into their youth ministries in, um, in the second half of the 20th, at the end of the 20th century. And around the, as we enter into the 21st century, people start to ask the question, like, is this working? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. is this, you know, is this, what's the point of this? And is it working? Because goodness knows we're putting a lot of money, a lot of money and time and energy into this. And so, so there were a couple of big studies in the first decade of this century which, by the way, how old are we, Jared? That it's like 2022 and, you know, 20, 2000, 2010 seems like, you know, just yesterday. I don't want to talk like, about it. Yeah, no, no. And <laughs> <laughs> then my wife at that point. No, but um, so what they started to discover is that churches were not having any success with discipleship. Uh, you know, the majority of kids who were growing up in church youth ministries were leaving the church. And, um, and, and, and it was even argued by one scholar at Princeton that, you can almost say that youth ministries were repelling kids from the faith. Mm. And so they looked at, that was the first round of research. And then secondly, they looked at why, like, why is it that this is happening? And they found there were three major factors that were contributing to the, the lack of efficacy with uh, teen discipleship. One was, we'll call it generational segregation. Uh, you had kids growing up in nursery and then children's chapel and then you know, youth, youth group, whatever, they weren't being integrated into the church uh, as a worshiper or as a servant. So they weren't, um, they weren't kind of getting the social skills to be a church member. Right. And so when they got into the real world, there was a social barrier uh, that stood in their way of, of, you know, just showing up at a church and worshiping on a Sunday and, you know, getting involved. They, they, it was awkward. So that was one thing. Second thing was uh, partnership with parents. Churches were kind of a, uh, facilitating um, a little league type outsource mentality. So like, Hey, you know, you send your kid to school for intellectual development, you send your kid to uh, little league for sports, you send them to the music teacher for piano and you send them to the church for spiritual formation. And so churches weren't doing anything to educate parents about their role in discipling their own kids, nor were they giving parents any tools. There's no equipping. And so as a product, you know, uh, this is something we'll talk about more in this interview, you know, parents have a lot more influence than the church does. And so that was a, that was a major factor. The biggest factor was a theological one. Uh, biggest factor is that what kids were understanding about Christianity was antithetical to biblical Christianity. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and that's where the term that many, you know, it's, it's almost right now, and, but moralistic therapeutic deism comes from. So 
moralistic, you know, because we're understanding Christianity as just like a set of rules. And then uh, therapeutic, they understood Christianity was about primarily their self-esteem and feeling, feeling in their own personal happiness. And then deistic, their view of the character of God is that God is distant, um, not involved, and not involved in your life, except in the case of an emergency. If uh, you know, if there was an emergency, the the research indicated that kids thought God would come help you if it's bad. So God, God was kind of like the ambulance service or the fire department. Call an emergency, they'll come. But otherwise, I, you know, we're not interacting with the firemen every day. So what you can see there is a pretty good recipe for really ineffective ministry. But on the on the gospel side of that, you know, and this is where this rooted is kind of born out of this, you know, as a ministry that promotes gospel-centered youth ministry, the recognition that like moralistic therapeutic deism is the opposite of the gospel. So like moralistic, like absolutely there are moral and ethical imperatives in scripture that Christ calls us to if we're a follower of Jesus. And uh, we first focus on what Christ has done for us. It's knowledge of what Jesus has done for us and the grace that's been poured out to us through the cross by the Holy Spirit that enables us to be faithful to God's law. You know, therapeutic, when you become a believer, like your life is about the glory of God. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God and your life is about advancing God's kingdom under under his guidance and by the power of the spirit. And so, it's not this shallow, all about me and my self-esteem. And then, um, you know, deistic, how sad. How sad that a child who grows up in church would believe that the God of the universe is nothing more than like an ambulance service. In reality, everything in our lives is under the sovereignty of God. Like the Holy Spirit dwells in us, Jesus Christ. We're in union with Jesus Christ every single step we take under his watch. Hmm. He, he cares about every matter of our life. And so that's where, that's where kind of rooted was started in 2010 um, in, in response to that. And I would say right now, Jared, in terms of the state of youth ministry, it's kind of, it's interesting that in some, some ways, a lot of the same old fun and games mentality is prevalent, which, you know, if you look back at moralistic therapeutic deism and you think about the stereotype of youth ministry that you and I probably grew up in, it was, we're going to play a bunch of games. We're going to play some chubby bunny. We're going to eat some pizza. Youth pastor might swallow a goldfish. Um, and, you know, the lesson would not be inductive from scripture. Usually the lesson was pretty moralistic, focusing on, you know, the Holy Trinity. Don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do. Um, but, you know, no premarital sex, be nice, don't cuss, don't, you know, th- those kind of things. With a lot of pressure and guilt, no, not much, not much grace. It was like, we're going to try to scare you into beha- modifying your behavior. And so uh, it makes sense that what kids believe was moralistic therapeutic deism because they weren't really being, because they weren't being taught scripture, they weren't hearing about the actual God of the Bible. And because they weren't hearing about the grace of Jesus and about, you know, about how God loves us apart from our performance, they, you know, they, they just understood Christianity as another function of human performance. And, and if it's all, you know, if it's all about you being entertained, well, it's kind of all about you. So there are still plenty of elements where the youth ministry, evangelical youth ministry has not adapted, but man, there is a substantial movement of youth pastors who they care about discipleship. They care about um, teaching 
scripture to kids inductively. They care about proclaiming the gospel of grace to young people. And they want to do it in the context of the whole congregation, not as a silo. And they want to do it in partnership with parents. And, um, and it's, it's really, it's really encouraging. So I think back in 2010, when Rude had his first conference, the reason we can only get 31 people to come to the conference <laughs> is because there was just like literally nobody right. doing gospel-centered, Bible-based youth ministry. There just weren't many people. You know, thinking anecdotally for me, so, so I was in student ministry, of course, when I started, like a lot of uh, guys, in, you know, going to ministry, where else do they put you, right? So I, right. I, I was in student ministry long enough to know I do not want to do student ministry. Um, and I remember in sort of the early days of, you know, public ministry, this would have been about, you know, around that same time, 2009, 2010, 2011 or so, I didn't get invited to do um, a lot of student ministry type things. And when I did, um, I was always sort of like, are you sure? Like, do you know the kind of thing that I do? And and I would be walking up after, I remember one event in particular, and this was, you know, probably 10 years or so ago. They had just done a game where where they had kids bobbing in Jello. There were th- there were things in Jello, and so they were bobbing in Jello. And then I immediately walk up and I'm like doing Ecclesiastes, tw- you know, remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the before the evil days come. You know, like <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna die. This <laughs> is basically you know what I'm doing. And as I get older, so I found this fascinating. I, I've been asked to do more student ministry events in the last probably three years. Mm-hmm. Then I have in the first, you know, in the last 10 years, and I, and I don't know what, you know, again, it's just an anecdotal observation, but I also notice it's not as jarring what I do. So sometimes I walk in going, you know, maybe oh, yeah. do I need to kind of coach them up about expository preaching? Do I need to coach them up about, I'm going to talk about Jesus in every single message? Am I going to, and what I'm finding is that's less and less discordant. Now, of course, those are the particular contexts that invite me. So it's not like I'm just walking into a random student ministry event and, and maybe I would find it somewhat discordant if I if I did that. But what's changed? Like, so what you know from 2010, the start of rooted and 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 just the development. Um, who's becoming student ministers now? What kind of mentality mm. are they bringing into that? Is it just a, a matter of the gospel centered thing has needed to kind of permeate further, or yeah. you know, impact another generation, or what? Yeah, I think that this kind of gospel centered movement. Um, you know, that you see manifested in different seminaries and like Gospel Coalition, Together for Gospel, different authors. I think so, some of it has, um, is, is just a reflection of those influences in the, in the macro church kind of trickling down. I think also there were just a lot of people, so I'm 43, um, but a lot of people who are youth pastors today were folks who were kind of burned by bad youth ministry. Yeah, you know, like the uh, legalistic, fear-based, substanceless youth ministry, it really, it really wounds people, and it turns a lot of people away from the Lord and from the church, and um, and it creates a lot of shame, and it also doesn't give you a whole lot of hope or tools for the suffering of life. So I just think there, my experience with rooted is seeing a lot of people who want something better for the next generation than what they received. And then I also see people who had that unique experience where they were taught the Bible, they were told about the grace of Jesus, and it just changed their life. 
you know, it was it was central to their ability to fruitfully flourish as a teenager and as a young person. It's interesting. We have, I have a book that came out recently called The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School. And it's a collection of, uh, of different authors, 30 different people, men and women, different ethnicities, all talking about the difficulties of their high school experience and how if they knew Jesus back then, like they do now, how it would have changed their whole adolescent experience. And it's so interesting how many adults love that book Mm. because they just remember how hard (laughs) it was to be a young person. And, and for just so many, like most people, they just, they didn't really know. They didn't really hear about the fullness of what Jesus did on the cross for them. And the, just the, unconditionality, the full unconditionality, no strings attached about God, the father's love of them because of the atoning work of Jesus. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, what would you say students need? You touched on this a little bit. Um, and earlier when you said, uh, we discovered it wasn't working, you know, we have to define what, what working means, right? Because (laughs) you can still do those things and people still are. If what works is defined as filling the room, you can still do these things, and it fills the room, which is why I think it's almost perpetual. It's, it's you know, um, you you have to change your measure of success or change your, Amen. you know, your markers of of uh, you know validation and so on. If that's not what I'm defining as what as as my aim, but I'm defining as my aim what what you have said previously. Uh, I'm looking at discipleship. I want people to to stay in the faith beyond. You know, we're still looking at a pretty drastic dropout rate from mm-hmm. you know I, you know um, outside of high school for young adults. Uh, the good news is a lot of those you know folks do come back to church. You know, in their later years. But if if we're trying to to stave that off, what is it that youth ministers ought you know ought to be about? What is it that students yeah. you know need that they haven't <clears throat> received in the last you know thirty years from student ministry? Yeah, totally. The first thing I would say is, is they need rich biblical teaching. Um, there's, uh, you know, I think people worry a lot about all the different messages out in the world and how are they going to answer this question or that question and so on and so forth. Yeah. And, and those are, those are things to consider. And if you, if you teach through books of the Bible over the child, over a child's lifetime, in your ministry, like they're going to get all the systematic theology and all the reinforcement of the answers that they need in our youth ministry from, from seventh grade to 12th grade. If a child consistently comes to Sunday school and small group, they'll study a survey of Genesis survey of Exodus. They'll study Ecclesiastes over 50 Psalms, a survey of Proverbs, Daniel, Jonah, Haggai, uh, all of John, all of Mark, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first Thessalonians, first Peter, first John, James, survey of revelation. That's 19 books of the Bible from seven to 12. Yeah. Look, if a kid gets all goes inductively through all of those books, they're going to have really good theological tools. Yeah. Um, just from hearing all that biblical teaching. So they need to hear the word, the word, like I say, if you want to guarantee that your ministry is going to have power, teach the Bible because <laughs> God's word does not come back void. You know? Um, second thing is they need to hear every week. They need to hear the gospel of grace. Um, in fact, we have a, a catechism that we do in our church that we encourage parents to do with their kids every day. And it's, what does gospel mean? Good news. What's the good news? Jesus died for my sins. Why did I die for your sins? So I can have a relationship with God. Who loves you the most? God. Who loves you the second most? Mom and dad. What can you do about God's power and grace? Hard things. Mm. And so, you know, that's, and then for junior high kids, we say, who does um, God, the Holy Spirit say you are? One who is washed and clean. 
who does God the Son say that you are? One who's forgiven and righteous. Who does God the Father say you are? An adopted child of God. Who are you? I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so we encourage parents, like when they drop off kids, to send them out with those catechisms so that every day they start their day grounded, either in their identity grounded in the gospel or just their view of the world grounded in the gospel. The number one indicator, there's a study that, um, uh, well, sorry, it's a quote from Kara Powell uh, from Fuller Theological Seminary in uh, Christianity Today uh, about eight years ago. She was asked, what do you think is the strongest indicator on whether or not a child will be a church tending Christian as an adult? She said, if I had to distill it all to one thing, it's their ability, it's their, it's their clarity on Christianity and the message of grace. Hmm. They understand Christianity as um, Christianity in terms of God's grace for struggling sinners. That's probably the single best tool that they can have uh, in turn, and the single best indicator of whether or not they'll be a church tending Christian as an adult. If they don't know grace, I mean, they're in, they're in big trouble Yeah. <laughs> from the standpoint of everyone's going to have a moral failure. Everyone's going to have a burnout. Everyone's going to have a massive disappointment. If they don't know that God is a, is a well and a spring of grace and mercy, they're not going to turn to God. So that would be the second thing. And the third thing I would say, and this is something that rooted is really into right now. And that is we've got to find a way for every church, no matter how small, no matter how limited their resources are to have a parent discipleship equipping ministry. Doesn't mean no, uh, very few youth pastors have the wisdom or life experience to lead that themselves, but how can they facilitate that with resources that, that are out there? Um, Rooted has a really great resource on this coming out in September. And, um, and with, uh, with the, the people, the wiser, older parents in the congregation as a resource, how can we in every church have a parent discipleship ministry? Because parents have way more influence than the church does. Like the outsource thing is kind of whistling by the graveyards, wood, hay, and straw. It's not to say that God, God certainly, you know, can work through the youth ministry or the church alone. He can do that. He can do anything. And um, some of this is just empirical research. And some of this is just anecdotal. The kids, when I, they come to my youth ministry, and I know that they're being discipled at home. And what I'm doing is just supplemental. Those kids, there's no, there's no guarantees, but those kids are highly likely to when they are older to be identifying Christians who are a part of the church. And Jesus is, you know, a part, if not the center of their life. Yeah, I've got two questions about that. One is, have kids changed in the sense that when I was a teenager, for instance, I would have listened to my youth pastor more than I would have cared what my parents were thinking, not because I, quote unquote, disrespected my parents. Um, but if my parents were trying to do some sort of, we're going to have personal discipleship time, Jared, you know, I would have thought it was weird. Um, I, would, I would have endured it, you know. But I, I was much more tuned in to what my youth pastor or even my pastor was saying. So what's different about today? Is it the way it's done? Is it students are more? I, I totally agree that parents have more influence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think even, you know, those of us who grew up, we understand that in ways when we're adults that we didn't even when we were teenagers, that they're the, the single greatest influence. I totally understand that. What is it about th- this sort of approach to the, the parent? student discipleship. And second part of the question is somewhat related. What do you do when you have students who either don't have parents who are believers or, you know, maybe it's a lost friend that another kid's brought in 
Do they just get adopted by, you know, uh, you know, believing parents? Is that sort of thing? Sure. So, sorry. First question was: Do kids listen to their parents? Oh, what's changed? Yeah, what's changed? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's here's here's. I think they're. I think you know, parents always, and this is just biblical, that parents have massive influence over kids. Yeah. And I would say something unique is that, on one sense, young people are very anti-institutional. There's a tremendous mistrust of institution. Their lives are also very de- decentralized relative to institutions these days. There's so many other things that they're involved with away from the institution. So there's the mistrust, but there's also just their commitment to and the amount in which they're embedded in those institutions is less. Um, but I think the mistrust is a particularly big thing. Okay. I think another thing I would say too with parents is if for parents who are listening to this, every teenager is going to give off nonverbal or verbal communication <laughs> right. that they don't want to hear from you, you know, that they don't, they're not listening to what you're saying. They are listening. And they also give off the vibe of they don't want you to pursue them. Like, I don't want to do anything with you, mom. Like they actually do. You want to keep on, you have to, you have to have what we call in football, eye discipline. Mm. Eye discipline is like, you know, in football, like before the play, they're moving players in a certain direction. They're trying to get you distracted Mm -hmm. to follow those players because they're going to go in another direction. And so you got to keep your eyes on your assignment. Don't let your eyes be fooled by the the motion um, (laughs) in the backfield. You got to have eye discipline with your kids in that they're, they're going to, what you're seeing is don't talk to me. Don't engage me. Don't initiate with me in reality. They want you to do that. Another thing on that too, I would say is we parents, kids don't just listen. Kids primarily watch more than they listen. And you know, there's this, this new research about the power of parents by a Christian Smith. And it's interesting because kids observe their parents' faith. They observe, you know, does mom and dad have a devotional time? Uh, does, is going to corporate worship a priority to mom and dad when things, you know, things are going bad when things are hitting the fan, does dad call upon the Lord? Do we pray? Do we remember the promises of God? Uh, like it's, it's more, you know, values are caught more than they're taught. Lincoln Duncan had this just tremendous, um, statement on, on the, the rooted parent podcast uh, about a year ago. He said, with evangelical parents, we tend to want to teach first, model second, pray third. <laughs> that it's backwards. Hmm. You want to you want to uh, pray first because then you're you know you're really what what would be better? We say this to youth interns. What would be better for you to spend eight hours with a child or for you to pray for a child for eight hours? Probably pray for a child for eight hours. Hmm. Um, secondly, model. You know, not not just modeling. Christian practice, you know, but also modeling repentance and humility, especially, man, probably the best thing a parent can do for their kid in sharing the gospel is to be a repenting and reconciling parent. When you mess up, when you do something's wrong, confess your sin to your children, uh, acknowledge your need for the grace of Jesus, ask for their forgiveness, seek reconciliation. Um, And then last, teach, like verbally teach. So then the second question, was what about kids who come to your youth group who aren't from believing families? Great question. Very common. Praise God. Because a lot of times, you know, kids, kids bring their friends. That's where I think, um, one, you can try to build bridges with their parents. Uh, if they're coming to your youth group in this day and time, uh, you need to reach out to their parent. And, you know, 
trying to build some trust there. Yeah. So you're not just the sketchy person, the sketchy adult who is around kids and the youth and the, and the community. <laughs> but also that's where the, that's where I think there's value in the body of Christ, the body of Christ as a family of God itself. And so, um, it's, it's interesting. Nancy Guthrie said, uh, talked about why is it that church hurt hurts so, so bad. And, uh, and she said to me, I think it's because theologically scripture says that the church is a family. And so church hurt, uh, church conflict or abuse or whatever it is hurts so bad because it's akin to that kind of pain in a family system. And so, so on the, the positive side of that though, is that a child who is part of the youth group, but he's getting plugged into corporate worship and the whole body, but there's a, you know, there's a surrogate family there in the body of Christ for them. Yeah. 16 years is a long time, bro. I don't know if I, I think my math's right. You've been, I'm actually, I'm actually running into my 18th year. Okay. 18 years, not just in student ministry, maybe, maybe longer student ministry, but in this particular role, right? In the, yeah, I've been in the same church the for same, 17 years, man. In student ministry. So I, I can count on like maybe two fingers the guys I know who have been doing student ministry for going on 20 years or more. And I got to ask you, what makes the difference for those who, who stick with it? Yeah. Um, well, here's what I would say. I think something that makes a difference is some of it's, some of it is just like, you know, practical. Is a church going to pay you a living wage? You know, <laughs> right. like, okay. you're probably not going to have your youth pastor very long if you're a church and you want to pay him $22,000 a year. Right. Right. You know, like you're kind of <laughs> saying we have, we do not have any plans of being able to support you when you have children or you get married or whatever. Um, but I would say some of it's a mentality. And this is uh, something that blessed me from the beginning is before I was in youth ministry, I, um, I was an inner city teacher for a little while. And then I worked for three years for a startup company in sales and I had to wear suits to work and had to be an adult, you know, had to be a, an adult. <laughs> yeah. So when I got into youth ministry, I, my big, I was recruited for this job. I was doing youth ministry in all of my spare time and I was being recruited to do this for a job. And I was very re- reticent to take it at. And part of it is I was like, I'm an adult. Like I wear suits to work. I close deals. <laughs> I iron my clothes. Yeah. And I don't, want, uh, I don't want to play chubby buddy. <laughs> I was like, I'm not getting any piercings. I'm not getting any pats. I'm not growing any facial hair. And, um, and so the guy who was recruiting me said, well then be a youth pastor who doesn't, he didn't, who doesn't cotton candy around. Let's we'll say that. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, be a professional youth pastor. Like no one says you, you can wear your slacks. Like, hmm. you know, you can iron your shirts. And so <laughs> for the first three years of youth ministry, I took myself, way too seriously. Mm. I like, I wore, I didn't own a pair of blue jeans. I wore <laughs> slacks to work, you know, my button down shirts, my nice shoes. And, um, and, uh, eventually uh, a colleague told me like, Hey, look, man, you got to drop the slacks thing. Like you got to buy a pair of blue jeans. <laughs> You're just so unapproachable. You're so yeah. unapproachable. And I, I acceded, but, um, but what the point I was going to make here is that I think a lot of the people who last for a long time, they see themselves as a full on pastor. Like I am a pastor. Mm. My congregation happens to be younger people, but like I, I, the work I'm doing and the way in which I approach it is just as important and legitimate as the head pastor of the church. I need to be a student of the word. I need um, to handle it, you know, with excellence. I 
I need to be a professional. I need to, you know, I need to have a, a real plan and strategy of how we're going to disciple kids. And I think that the people who last are people who don't buy into this, oh, youth ministry is JV or it's a stepping stone or whatever. Right. It's people who are like, no, I'm a real pastor. I just, and that's, that's my, the guy who hired me. He said that too. He said, this person who's ordained and older, they're the pastor to you know the men. Well, you're just the same as them, but your population just happens to be young people. Mm. And it was a big blessing to me to have that mentality and to take myself seriously. I know that, you know, sometimes in a lot of situations in life, we don't need to take ourselves too seriously. But something I say to youth pastors is take yourself seriously. Mm. Yeah. And, and Mm. that carries, you know, dress like an adult, act like an adult, (laughs) clean the bus, turn in your receipts, you know, like, do those kind of things that a professional does. And it'll, it, it really, I think it gives, it gives you dignity to your work, but it, I think it gives longevity to your ministry. Yeah. Tell me, um, so you've, you've spoken a little bit about Rooted um, as we kind of turn here, because I want to talk about the conference coming up in, in a moment. Tell me about Rooted, how it started kind of the last, you know, several years of, uh, of development there, the resources available, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So Rooted, um, our uh, our mission is to equip and empower churches and parents to disciple teenagers to lifelong faith in Christ. So we're, we want to we want to help people um, engage in effective discipleship, both at home and at church. And our vision, I love our vision statement. Our vision statement is um, to transform the culture of youth ministry so that every child would receive grace filled, gospel centered. Bible saturated discipleship at church and at home. And so, yeah, like for me growing up, the normal experience for kids was that, you know, a lot of games, a lot of high pressure moralistic talks and songs that generally didn't have any theological or biblical substance. What we want the norm to be for a child. When you say to a kid, Hey, tell me what was your youth ministry experience like? They would say, well, we got together we had, you know, we had community, we had a good time, but like we dug into the word. I heard about the grace of Jesus every week. And it wasn't just like my youth ministry. It was like the whole church and my parents who were pouring into me spiritually. That's what we want the norm to be. And so, um, you know, Rita started very grassroots. Like for the first three years, it was just all volunteers. That's the conference you went to. Yeah. I mean, just a total shoestring of a budget. And now... You know, rooted. We you know we seek to educate, equip, and encourage through our through our different content and resources to to both parents and youth pastors, so that they deliver grace filled, gospel centered, Bible saturated discipleship. So we do that through our blog, through our we have five podcast uh, channels, but you know some for youth pastors, some for parent discipleship. Uh, we have our. Um, uh, YouTube channel that has a lot of training videos. We have a curriculum product that has inductive Bible studies. It's, you know, books of the Bible. That's what we do. Mm. And, um, but it also has training videos on, um, to train a new youth pastor or train volunteers on gospel centered youth ministry, how to teach scripture to young people, how to do relational discipleship, uh, a course for elders and for search committees to help them be educated on like, Hey guys, the dodgeball model didn't work. That ship has sailed. <laughs> let's, 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 let's center around Jesus and, and the gospel and, and his word. And so we, we, we have a mentoring cohorts that we just started. 
And we have regional groups. We have over 40 regional groups around North America. We have book publishing now. Um, we just came out with a book, The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School through New Growth Press. And, uh, and so we're you know, coming out with different books that, because we get the big question we get is devotionals for teenagers, books for teenagers. Yeah. And so to resource youth pastors and parents, we're trying to promote or, or to deliver, you know, scripturally rich, um, gospel centered, Jesus centered uh, literature for young folks. And then finally, um, you know, we, 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 we're coming out with a, a product in September. That's going to be fantastic. And this we think could really help churches on the parent discipleship side. It's basically going to be a resource that has video based Bible studies for small groups, for individual parents, for Sunday school classes, for seminars of the church on all kinds of things related to Christian parenting. And it's the kind of thing where a church like subscribes to it, not terribly expensive and anyone in the church can log on. So it can be abused throughout any person in the church. So yeah, that's the, we think that's super important, but we do have a conference coming up on um, the first weekend in October in Kansas city. In Kansas city, man. So yes, sir. the conference is a, someone on uh, two yeah. of the people on this podcast are going to be speaking about it. That's right. Is it oh, in a different place? On this podcast? <laughs> it's in a different place every year. The, the conference is it travel. Yeah, we travel. Okay. We, we rotate it around the country. You okay. pastors generally don't have huge budgets. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so we try to um, spend it on pizza. Yeah, we, that's right. Yeah, spend it all on pizza and, and marshmallows. <laughs> um, and so we, yeah, we we uh, we rotate it around the country to make it accessible for different seasons. Yeah. So October sixth through eighth, which I think when this episode airs is either the next week or two weeks. So mm-hmm. um, we're a little bit in advance here in Kansas City. Speakers include myself, you, Cameron, Anthony Bradley. Barnabas Piper, there are some others. The plenaries are walking through First Peter. What's the focus for this year's Rooted Conference? What are you hoping people will take away? Yeah, our theme is going to be Living Hope, and we're going to go through the entire book of First Peter. There's just a tremendous amount of depression and despair amongst young people. There's kind of a, a, a mental health crisis coming out of COVID. Mm. Um, so we thought that would be valuable. But I'll say what we try to do with our conference is model what we would hope that a local youth ministry would look like where we get together and we, you know, and we have great conversations. We, we worship the Lord with music. That's really biblically and theologically rich. And, uh, we teach scripture and we over and over again, proclaim the grace of Jesus. And it's interesting because the conference is so edifying and so renewing and yet so simple. It's relationship, scripture, the gospel, and response and, and praise and worship. And people tend to feel so renewed. And it's like, yo, dog, <laughs> what we just did here is like, there are no, there are no, nothing fancy, yeah. nothing expensive here. It's just people, scripture, the gospel, and the Holy Spirit. That's awesome. And that is transposable to your youth group of 10 kids. Yeah. And so that's, that's what we're trying to, to say here is like this renewal that you're experiencing here and hearing the word and hearing the gospel in community, like you can deliver this every Sunday to your kids without, without any kind of laser light show. There's an array of uh, workshops as well. Uh, Anybody listening, if you would like more information, particularly if you're local, but not just if you're local, maybe you got some money in that budget still, uh, you can go to rooted-conference.com. You'll find all the information 
at rooted-conference.com. It's right here in Kansas City. Boom. Yeah. I'm so pumped to come to Kansas City. I've heard I've heard there's some good barbecue. There is some good barbecue. Now, I don't know if you're a big Alabama barbecue guy, but uh Hey, know. I'm an equal opportunity barbecue <laughs> okay. person, man. I like it all, man. I like That's it awesome. all. Brother, it's been great talking with you, man. Thanks for taking some time on this uh on this Friday morning with me. Oh, man, it was so well, thank you. Thank you for um having me on and also thanks um thanks for being, you know, one of the people in the trenches. Absolutely. You know, like supporting the ministry back in the day. And <laughs> um, right. yeah, it's being we, a good, we've come a long good way, baby. <laughs> for gospel centered youth ministry. Yeah, that's great. We've been talking with Cameron Cole. He's director of youth ministries at the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. He's also the director of uh, Rooted Ministry, organization that we've been talking about today that promotes gospel centered youth ministry. As always, dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 